Hello, my name is Blaze Bailey. You're listening to Mars Attacks Radio. This is Dave Starr from Wildstar, and you're listening to some serious metal on Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Corey Proctor from Free Range, and you're listening to Mars Attacks Radio. Let's have a rock out and jam. All right, this is Jason from uh, Kings of Modesty, and you are listening to Mars Attacks Rock and Roll Show. So stay tuned, metalheads. What's happening? This is Jeremy Goldberg from Age of Evil, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, everybody, this is Bobby Rock coming at you live from L.A., and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Hi, this is Robert Fleshman, and you're listening to Mars Attacks with Victor. There we go. This is Dave Silva, and this is Cy Taplin. <laughs> Say your name to the program. Sorry for that for a second, I was just like standing around. Take two, you say this is Sasha Crone. Yeah. <laughs> this is Dave Silver and Cy Taplin. And Sasha Crone. And we're from Savage, Savage Messiah. Messiah. And you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hi, this is Bruce Kewitt, and you're hanging with Mars Attacks. Hey everyone, this is Dave Menachetti from YNT, and you're listening right now to Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Eric from White Wizard, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, what's up? This is Mercedes from Kitty, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owens. You are listening to Mars Attacks. Get out of my face. What's up? This is Doc Coyle from the band God Forbid, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attacks. This is Ron from Home Kitty. You're listening to Mars Attacks with my buddy Vic. Oh, yeah. Hey, what do you say? Be careful because Mars Attacks. This is Bobby Blitz from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Z from Life of Agony, and you're listening to Mars Attacks with Victor. Rip it.
one and all to episode number two of Mars Attacks podcast. In this episode, we have an interview that I conducted back in November with Joey Z from Life of Agony. At the time, they were preparing to do two shows where they would be playing River Runs Red in its entirety to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the band. And uh, I've, since then, uh, actually earlier this week, there was a press release sent around mentioning that they had signed with a label that was going to be putting out uh, a DVD version of one of these shows that would be recorded in Belgium. Obviously, when we initially did the interview, they were just doing the Starland Ballroom in New Jersey and the Highline Ballroom in New York. Since then, they've done it a few other times. They've gone out on tour with, God forbid, did a few shows with them. And um, anyway... This interview is a little over an hour. We touch upon a bunch of different things, including uh, that specific show or those initial two shows. Touch upon Joey's gear, his recording studio, things like that. In any event, we'll um, we'll play the interview, do a few quick uh, Life of Agony clips, and after that, just fill you in on everything that's going on in the world of Mars Attacks. If I knew what to do, I'd do it If I knew where to go, I'd get there someday If I knew how to fly, I'd fly away Forget about life for a while But it never is that easy To just pick up and go And do as you told me I never worked out that way If it were true, the skies would be full every day of agony joining us to what's up <laughs> um, what's up everyone hey we're going to talk a little bit about the history of life of agony since they're going to do two 20th anniversary shows uh in the coming weeks roughly in a week they'll be playing at the starland ballroom uh in new jersey and next month they'll be playing in the highline uh in new york itself on the 15th so 20 years does it feel like 20 years uh, it went really fast. Uh, <laughs> life goes by like a flash. So, you know, at some point it felt like, <laughs> it felt like it was dragging on, but 
you know, right now I must say it, it went pretty fast. Cool. It's funny. It's well, it's funny actually. Quick thing, I was reminiscing just a few weeks ago about this photo shoot we did um, for the River Runs Red album. Right. And I just remember the, the particular day so clearly, like it was yesterday. And that photo shoot took place in 1992. Wow. And uh, we went on top of a local mall close by our house, uh, by, our, by our neighborhood, I should say, and it's called the King's Plaza Mall. And we were on the roof of it doing some shots, and I, I swear it just feels like yesterday we were just up there. It's just crazy. Yeah, that's funny you mention that. I was looking at the CD um, yesterday, um, just putting everything together, and I have an original copy of the CD from back in 93. So it was funny. I was looking at that, and I'm thinking, wow, 16 years. You know, it's unbelievable. But, it just—it really went by quick. Yeah, yeah. I must say it did. What well, What are your fondest memories of recording that album? Well, you know, it, we recorded the album with Josh Silver from Typo Negative, and you know, although you know he put us through grueling torture, <laughs> getting the <laughs> tracks down, meaning like fourth, you know, really, really got the best performances out of us. Which, you know, at the time, you know, obviously, we were like, you know, grunting and groaning, but. You know, when you look back on it, he did an excellent job, and he did the the correct. Uh, you know, he took the correct route to force those you know those great performances out of the band. And, and now, when I look back, I, I, I give him great praise uh, for the way he worked with us. And uh, I'm a, that's probably I, what I would say the most um, you know positive thing is that the relationship between the band and Josh, you know, really really proved to be the correct combination right well i mean obviously that album in itself and i mean i would definitely say that river runs red you, you go through the list of the songs and there are so many songs that still you know hold their weight today and absolutely you know um and it was it's like fun. timeless music yeah it, exactly know, yeah and i i think one of the best things about life of agony to me personally is that there are so many songs or albums that have been like that. So, uh, thanks, man. Yeah, I, I honestly that's, a, that's that. a huge compliment. Yeah, I well, I mean, River Runs Red, I, Ugly, uh, Soul Searching Sun, and even Broken Valley. I think uh, they all they're all a little different, and they're all definitely definite progressions one from the other, and they all hold their weight, in my opinion. So. That's excellent. We, I really appreciate that. We worked hard, you know, our whole career on, uh, you know, and we take, we always took pride in, in writing music straight from the heart and just the way right. we felt at the time. Um, yeah, sometimes we were a little bit more rushed by, you know, the, the business masses. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, we, we had pressure on us here and there. Um, but I think all in all, I think we did a pretty decent job of capturing you know, the way we truly felt at the time. River Runs Red was reissued twice. Did you guys have any say in what was added to each one of those releases? Well, well, the second one, I believe, was just digitally remastered. Right. Um, and they threw a few, they threw a few, uh, few things on there. But that was uh, Roadrunner's decision to do that. Okay. Um, but, and, and that's fine. You know, um, I understand from a business perspective, point of view, uh, you know, uh, for their token that the album did very well and they, they were probably trying to capitalize on, you know, on that very fact, you know, which is fine, like I said, and uh, it's understandable from a business point of view, 
Um, we were more involved with the Best of Life of Agony record where we were asked what we thought should be on there and stuff like that. So um, that was cool. We, we, we cooperated with uh, Roadrunner on that one, and that ended up being a, decent, a cool album as well. So, yeah, I mean, having two River Runs Red, two river run, runs red out, <laughs> I can't, it's a tongue twister, um, is, is cool. It's just, uh, it's the same album, just basically uh, digitally remastered. Did you hear both, and do you think one sounds better than the other, you know, in your opinion? You know what, it's it's hard for me to, to listen to some of the remasters. Uh, only, well, let me put it to you this way. If something was remastered that I originally heard on vinyl, and then it was remastered again on CD. Most of the times, I have no problem listening to that remaster because it's closer to the original mix. Now, right. River Runs Red, I've always heard it on CD, so the mix was done for CD. Um, unless I really sit there and analyze it, I mean, I what little I've heard of the remastered, I really couldn't tell a difference between one or the other. Um, but I can honestly say that I haven't sat there and, and really analyzed both of them to, to uh, figure out the different nuances. Some people just say that the digital remaster sounds a little more crisp, okay. like a little more like sharp, like a little more cleaned up. And I kind of hear that, you know, if you listen, like, like, I mean, back to back, if you pop if you put the same track on and you just do a hit an AB switch, right? You could kind of tell that the remaster is a, a bit sharper, a bit more clear, right? You know, just one of those things. But other than that, it, it's very, it's like very, very close to the original, right? You know, so um, I mean, hey, you know, there's two River Runs Red, River Runs Red <laughs> out there. <laughs> so which whichever one you prefer, remastered or or the original recipe, right? You'll still get the same songs and and hopefully the same uh, the, the same uh, you know reaction. Absolutely. To those songs. And the songs still kick ass regardless whether you listen to one or the other. That's right. <laughs> now we're really looking forward to the show coming up. That's that's cool. Whose whose idea was it to do the entire album? Well, actually, it was it was the promoter of the venue. Ah, okay. No um, he. Yeah, he threw it our way. He said uh, he he thought it would be great. I believe his name is Adam Weis Weisner. Adam, I want to say I don't want to say the incorrect name, but um, he he threw the idea to our agent, and our agent passed the idea along to us. And at first, we were like, hmm, you know, we don't want to be looked at as one of these washed up, you know, bands that just relying on one record. Right. But at the same time, we know how important River Runs Red is to our fans. Um, and it just was an important record in our career. So we can't be blind to that. We can't turn an eye to that. So a blind eye to that. So we we took on the uh, we took on the challenge to, you know, recreate that album live. And it's going to be hopefully almost to the T. Um, and we're also talking about releasing talking about CDs, we're, we're talking about releasing the whole entire show, uh, making it available on iTunes as a download for your iPod. Excellent. And um, aren't able to be there and get tickets. It's not, it looks like it, we're not doing a DVD. We did that already. Right. What we're going to do is uh, River Runs Red in its entirety, CD, mm -hmm. along with, you know, obviously we're, we're going to be doing tracks from 
uh, the records after after we complete the the River Runs Red portion of the show. Right. So the whole entire show, it looks like it will be available on iTunes. Hopefully, you know, once we mix it, once we once we get the, the tracks and mix it and all that stuff. Right. Um. So that's an exciting thing, uh, something for everyone to look forward to. You know, to actually have be able to, to own that show and actually put it on it, put it in their phone and actually hear the intensity of how that was. Right. For, how that, what it's going to be that evening. Right. For someone like me, that's on the other side of the world, uh, chomping at the bit, uh, to be at the show, I'll actually be able to, uh, to listen in and, yeah, yeah. and feel the exactly. vibe and everything. So. Exactly. Yeah. We're recording it for, you know, to put to a, excuse me, a full pro tools, um, you know, full, Full Pro Tool, Tools production, excuse me, um, and uh, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna be really, really fun to do. Uh, we have a, a, a gentleman who's a very close friend of the band for many years. He's an engineer. Um, he he's also gonna be our front of house sound man. He's bringing his rig along to to record it. Um, so he'll also be. We're also gonna allow Matt since he's recording it to to go ahead and mix it and stuff. Um, whether it be my studio, whether it be his own studio, it, it doesn't matter. The most important thing is going to be the product. Right. And, and you know, so it's kind of cool having having someone else uh, get in there and, and, and do this first. Excellent, excellent. And I was actually going to ask you that if if you if you thought that your studio would have a hand in uh, doing any of the mixing well, or any of the production. Yeah. Well, well, we already we already talked about possibly going to my studio to do the mixing and obviously I'll be sitting side by side with Matt or the, actually the whole entire band I'm sure will be sitting side by side with Matt um, you know just uh, giving input and stuff we're going to be giving input regardless um, but we, we you know we haven't set any plans in stone for it where it's going to be mixed or anything the idea came up to do it at my studio right and uh, maybe uh Maybe that that'll be where we do it, or maybe not. We'll we'll see how that pans out. Right. Okay. Cool. Will Will we expect to see uh, Ugly in its entirety in a few years, or? <laughs> you know, you're not the first person that asked us that. Uh, we got we got that a lot. Uh, there's a huge, huge Ugly fans out there. Too, yeah. Um, that are fans of Reverend Red. Um, but some people do do and do like Ugly just as much, if not more, than Reverend Red. So. Uh, you know, will there be uh, an ugly show? I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know. I can't. I can't uh, say there will or will not at this moment. All right, cool. Um, I would say there's obviously a very big following for those two albums. I remember when Soul Searching Sun came out. Although I was a big fan of it, that probably caught the most amount of criticism, perhaps. But yeah. I think seeing, for example, the River Runs Red Again DVD, I think it's awesome seeing how many people actually knew all those songs, were singing their hearts out to those songs, just as much as the songs that came off of the first two albums. After all these years, does that make you guys feel that, you know, you guys were right when you put Soul Searching Sun out and decided to go in a slightly different direction? Well, I think I think we felt we were always right because we went with what we felt. Yeah, You know, and I I guess that we just I, I guess it did make us feel really good because the same people that were screaming the River Runs Red lyrics were screaming the Soul Searching Sun lyrics. Right. So you know that 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 actually just proves that you know there are 
you know, Life of Agony fans out there, like true dedicated Life of Agony fans, not just River Runs Red fans or not just Ugly fans. Right. They're 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 you know supporters of the entire the entire thing, which makes us feel great. You know. Right. Well, and I think uh, possibly a big uh, compliment maybe to come out of this as well is that propane ended up covering weeds off of. Uh, yeah, that's, you know that's. Yeah, I heard that, and that was so friggin' cool. I, I remember when I listened to that for the first time. First of all, uh, a lot of respect for propane and what they do. Obviously, our first European tour was with propane. Um, so there you go. There's a little bit of nostalgia, like we have any nostalgia, right? Um, but um, you know, uh, that was, it's an amazing feeling. I got to be honest. When I hear other bands covering our material, I love love to watch stuff on YouTube. I sit there like a, like a little kid at Christmas. <laughs> I, I go on YouTube and I I, I YouTube Life of Agony and I, all these bands come up and besides us, you know, like covering our stuff and, and playing live and it, it's just so cool. Like a lot of European bands you know, doing this time, you know, the song this time, or River Runs Red, or some stuff off Ugly. I've seen uh, Lost to 22. I've seen Let's Pretend. Tons of different songs, and it's the real, because that's me. You know, that was me doing Metallica covers when I was, uh, you know, when I was growing up. Did Seek and Destroy. Right. You know, we had it, before Life of Agony, our band was called Isolated Fear. We played our high school, and that was our first show. And, like, the closing song to our set was Seek and Destroy by Metallica. Uh, no kidding. So, <laughs> yeah. And then we did Devil's Whorehouse from Misfits. Ah, so, cool. it just, it, so it just uh, it just goes to show you that, like, we all start in the same place. Like, we all do that. We do covers of our favorite, you know, that's the way we're formed. That's the way we're shaped as musicians. Right. That's the way we're influenced, and it's just beautiful. You know, it's really cool to to hear at this stage in my life and this stage in my career to actually now be able to turn around and see bands, being people and bands, musicians and bands being influenced by me or my band or Life of Dragon. So, seeing, for example, the the Roadrunner United concert that Keith was a part of, and seeing Scott Ian and other others actually play River Runs Red must have been. You know, incredible. And you know something? Seeing Andreas Kisser from Sepulchre, right. who's one of my favorite guitar players of all time, um, literally um, influenced my whole guitar playing career. I would say if I would, if I would have to lay four guitar players on the table that shaped my playing, would be Kirk Hammett, Randy Rhodes, David Gilmore, and Andreas Kisser would be my four guitar players that shaped my playing so seeing him play river runs red was like what <laughs> it's like he's a good friend andreas is a great andreas is a great friend of mine um but you know I, I don't know if he truly knows how much he's influenced me you know um and then if i would have to throw a fifth in there it would be obviously like like you know um you know i would say uh hmm it changes from time to time, sure. but I'll stick with the four for now. <laughs> I would say Tony Alamy, actually. Cool. All, all excellent selections. Um, going back to that soul-searching sun period, um, there are so many rumors as to why Keith left the band. And you read so many things, and it's one of the reasons why I started the show up is that people don't ever 
or in a lot of cases, don't report what actually takes place. Um, they like to sensationalize things. Um, yeah. Is is there an official reason why Keith left the band? I've heard the label wanted to get rid of him. I've heard he was burnt no. out. What? No. Well, that 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 uh, the label part is definitely not at all true. Not even uh, it, that's not even one percent true. Uh, the label did all they can to hold on to him. As a matter of fact. Uh, they fought just as hard as we did um, to keep Keith in the picture. So the whole label thing, you could scratch that one off the list quickly. Okay. Um, uh, was he burnt out? Completely. And I think that was 80% of it. I think I think he had a lot of friends, and I don't know if they were friends, but a lot of people kind of like telling him that he should do something different and he didn't need us. And I think at the point in his life, I think he was a little vulnerable to that. Okay. And I think maybe he, he needed a little break from Life of Agony. I think um, he wasn't connecting on the same level he was with us the years, the prior years, prior to that, that album. Okay. Um, I think in, in connecting musically and personally, I think he was drifting in a totally different direction. And that's Keith, which is I get, you know, I never will take anything away from Keith or, or um, put put it put him, you know, uh, how would I say it? Like what he does, what he does, he does, and he does it beautifully. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So whether the music's different than what we normally do, um, you know, that's okay. What he does is is great in its own light, and uh, it deserves a lot of respect right. and a lot of credit. So you know, again, like I do believe that he was being pulled in different directions from different people. And I think a lot of people saw opportunity in playing with him. So a lot of people were telling him that he didn't, though it was kind of some manipulation too. Okay. So, um, you know, I think it was some manipulation on some people's part, but again, ultimately it was Keith's decision. And I think the combination, um, caused him to shy away from the band. Gotcha. Okay. Um, how did Whitfield Crane come into the picture? Well, you know, we were desperate, um, but and th- not, again, not taking anything away from Whitfield Crane, we um, we were in a, a bind. We had a brand new record on the shelves, and um, you know, the record just came out. Keith left two weeks after the release, so we had tours up in the air. We had we had a whole touring schedule. We had uh, an Australian, uh, I believe, a, a Japanese uh, run lined up. We had Europe lined up. We had a Megadeth tour that was offered to us by Dave Mustaine himself because he heard that song Weeds right. and he totally flipped out and wanted us on his tour. So we had all these tours ready to go, but we had no singers. So we immediately threw the word out there that we're having some auditions. Some people showed up and did okay. Uh, some members of some other bands, um, no need to say who they are right now, okay. but they did they did okay. Um, but you know, we, Scott Ian suggested, because we shared a studio with Anthrax rehearsal room. Right. Scott Ian suggested that we give Whitfield Crane a shot. And we had met him uh, prior to that. Uh, you know, we had met him once before on tour. And he seemed like a decent guy, fun person. And Scott Ian swore about his voice and, and about his stage presence and, and, and his frontman capabilities. So, you know, um, we had Scott call him for us and, and um, 
Whitfield immediately booked a flight to come over. He wasn't doing anything musically and really wanted to give it a shot. So we said, okay, and he came in the room, and he totally smoked it. You know, right. he came in the room, he knew his, he knew his shit. He, he, blew, he blew the audition away. Like, he, he was wide open. His vocals were great. His vocals were, were big. Right. He, he, he didn't necessarily sound like Keith, although he was maybe trying a little bit to sound like Keith sure. here and there. To, to kind of to kind of like um, you know reproduce what's on the albums, but uh, all in all, with the you know after we auditioned him, we all had a talk. You know, um, Dan Richardson at the time was the drummer. Uh, Alan and myself talked, and we've realized that with all these tours lined up and Whitfield doing doing so well at the audition, that it was almost like a no-brainer to give it a shot at least, right? And to do the touring cycle for the album. It was it was a big it was a big chance we took you know um, you know a lot of fans you know didn't like the idea and, and some fans just thought it was great that we were going to keep moving on so there was a split um, reaction right. to it but in the end we ended up being able to do all those tours tour with Megadeth do the Europe tours uh, we did Ozfest which was great we did we play with you know we play with all kinds of bands that are huge now on that Ozfest that were were little bands back then. Right. Incubus, System of a Down. <laughs> they were they were just coming out. They weren't even known yet. Right. Um, Seven Dust, uh, Soulflies, first Snot. You know there were so many huge bands on that on that tour. Ozzy, Megadeth. Um, I can go on and on the bands that were on that tour that are huge. Uh, right. Um, Motorhead. So it's just, you know, it, it was so meant to be that we did that, made that decision with wit. I think everything's meant to be and that, you know, you make your decisions for reason and, and the universe takes over and you just along for the ride, really. Sure. You know? so, so that was that with wit, you know. Um, how it ended. Basically, we started writing some material. And again, Witt is a great guy and he's a very talented person. But the material that we were writing simply just did not sound like Life of Agony with, with like, it couldn't have been a new Life of Agony record. Okay. So, so either we were going to call it something different, like a new band, or, or just hang up, you know, hang up the idea entirely with Wit. Right. And that's what we kind of did, which, um, which led me pretty much, uh, you know, to start Stereo Mud, the other band I did. Um, which was which had Dan Richardson, the drummer at the time of Life of Agony. Right. Um, Corey Lowry from Stuck Mojo, who was a friend of the band. Um, back then, we had toured together with Life of Agony with Stuck Mojo. So Corey was, was uh, um, somebody that you know somebody I talked about playing with in the future. And um, uh, basically, uh, that Stereo Mud came out of Life of Agony. Mm-hmm. It was a, kind of a spinoff been off band it rooted rooted I should say from life of agony um that first album also from stereo mud to me is in my opinion one of the best albums to come out this decade uh thank you start, thanks man I, I really love that album too yeah start to finish th- there isn't uh there isn't a weak song on there honestly I've yeah I rem- it, you know we had we had it I'm sorry we had it, everybody um you know all the the business people involved, the label management, it really sucked because we wanted to come out to Europe. We had such a strong presence. Dan Richardson was from Propane and Life of Agony. Right. I'm from Life of Agony. Um, Corey Lowry from Stuck Mojo. 
get all these guys that were in these established bands that did so well in Europe, and they just didn't want to bring it to Europe. We we tried all we can. We argue with them. They wanted to break the band in America first, and guess what? The band never went huge. Yeah. And then there we go. We never got to see European soil as stereo mud, which really sucked. I gotta say it. And um, that album, that, that album was great. I, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Um, and I'm sorry to cut you off there. And and I agree with you. I remember hearing back in the day when that came out, maybe Pain on K Rock once. You know, it isn't like the the album got mass play enough to you know not try to go to a territory that you guys were established in you know and obviously years later it shows that you guys are still playing here you know you guys are still relevant in all these festivals so it's right. sort of doesn't make any sense that they wouldn't have allowed you guys in stereo mud to come over it did make any sense, and like I said, we, we battled it, like, up and down, like, every day. Like, we were like, what the hell is wrong with you people? You have a sure thing, like a sure business venture, even if you look at it on the business end, it was a sure venture. It was, you know, you had guys from Life of Agony, Propane, and Sub Mojo coming over with a new band. It's like a no-brainer, and I just didn't. I think I think it was people being very stubborn right? and, and, and playing with you know, they don't realize sometimes they're playing with your lives, you're playing with your career. And they're playing uh, they're playing Monopoly with you, you know, they're playing uh, Russian Roulette with your life, you know. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I think it, it should have been that we should have been released worldwide and, 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 and actually did touring worldwide. Right. Obviously, you know this better than I do, but unfortunately in the business or in any business, once you get marketing geniuses involved that have never played a note in their lives, never, you know, done anything to pick up an instrument to, you know, start from the bottom up. Unfortunately, when you get into statistics and numbers and units and this and that, it unfortunately doesn't always translate to what the fans want or what can actually end up working. So. And even some of them never even doing a research on the demographic for the band, right? Which is their job, you know. Which is their job to do a little research and say, "Well, these guys are from this band. Let's see what they did overseas," you know. Right. And um, you know, I would highly doubt if they even did that because if they did that, I would definitely think we would have seen a European tour, right? Without a doubt, possibly two or three. To follow. At least playing at some of these major festivals that have, you know, been around yeah. forever. I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get it. I never got it. But Stereo Mud is, is gone, and um, you know, will it ever come back? I don't know. You know, I've been asked before. So, um, you know, we've been we've been asked before. I should say to to bring it back, and you know, we have mixed feelings about it. Different members of the band, and you know. That that was a whole. I think what tore that band apart was bad business um, decisions, and we just couldn't do it anymore. Like we couldn't afford to do it. Like there was such bad business decisions constantly being made that it drove us into the ground. Right. And it, it drove us to break the band up because it's just the band couldn't work anymore. We we needed to like everyone needed to go get like work to make money. Right. So it was like we to live um, to pay our bills. So it was like. The people, the masses that were in control, it doesn't mean if you're on a major label that you're set for life. Right. Let me put it that way, and Stereo Mud is the proof. Because if I, I couldn't believe, like, you know, here we were, a band with an album out on a major label, and here I was looking for work to try to make my bills, you know, to try to, you know, whatever, make it. And I wasn't doing that in Life of Agony, you know? 
you know, they weren't doing something right. And I think the in the end it was like, uh, I think it was that they didn't send us to Europe. I think that was the big mistake. Right. What What are your feelings on uh, Eric Rogers trying to resurrect the name? Well, that's been it, it, that's already been like he realized he made a mistake, and that's already like a water under the bridge type of thing. Okay. You know, I think he, he yeah, that's that's been um, that idea has been gone for a while now. He has his, an, another band. He wanted to do Stereo Mode so bad again that he thought getting um, some other guys um, and just throwing the name on there it could be Stereo Mode. But I think he realized that 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 you know, you're going to be definitely not look, it's not going to be looked upon in a positive light when someone does that. Right. I don't care who you are, what band you are. I mean, just, just cause you're the lead vocalist doesn't mean that you're the band. Right. Um, what makes a band is, is the word band. It's, it's everyone involved. So, uh, I think he realized that. I think he's a smart man. And, um, I think he did away with that idea rather quickly. He only tried that for about a month or two, and uh, and then and then realized and apologized actually publicly um, to us for for doing that and keeping stereo mode where it needs to be right now, which is you know within the the five original members, you know. Right. Um, how did your involvement with Carnivore come about? <laughs> well, Peter Steele, uh, you know. So one evening I got this crazy phone call. I didn't even believe it was Peter Steele because I haven't heard from him in about seven years. Right. But I got a phone call from this this man who happened to be Peter <laughs> asking for me and saying he was Peter Steele. And I said, yeah, right. Like I thought it was someone playing a prank, you know, changing their voice. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, although Peter and I have been friends for many years, he just, he never called. You know, we never really talked on the phone or that, that type of relationship. Um but it was him, and, and he said, uh, you know, basically, uh, I have a proposition for you. I'm putting Carnival together, and I'd love for you. You're my first choice in uh, in guitar player. And I said, you know what, Carnival was, you know, one of my uh, <laughs> one of the bands that influenced me, like as a heavy band growing up. Right. And you know, heavy wise and 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 groove, and um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do it. You know, get up there and be a maniac. So. <laughs> <laughs> I took it on, <laughs> and it was a lot of fun while it lasted. And uh, you know, it hasn't gone away. But Peter's very, very busy with type of negative. Right. And I, I, I reassured Peter that any time that you know he has that bug in his, you know, that bug in him to make Carnival happen, just to reach out and and we can talk about it and uh, see if it works out with everyone's schedules. And I think that's mainly the the thing is is when it works out with uh, everyone's band's schedules. You know. Right. So um, it's still there, though. <laughs> cool. So we we could possibly see something in the future, then. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't say that the band is it, it's a done deal. It's uh, again, we never closed a book, a chapter on it or anything, and uh, Peter's never never gave us the word that it's uh, a done deal. Right. So you know, you could possibly see something happen in the future with that. Cool. Now, when it comes to gear, what? Uh... What's the difference in your setup? It's 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 actually it's mainly the same except guitar wise. Uh, I've been over the years I've been like a like I tried so many different guitars besides my my Gibson Les Pauls. Um, I, I had some support from Gibson earlier back back in the day right. when I was younger. 
um, and it, I think it was due to one gentleman uh, by the name of Jimmy Archie who really loved the band. I got some support. Never free guitars or anything like that. I never, you know, I guess we were never considered big enough to get free guitars from Gibson. Right. Um, but in the end, um, you know, I couldn't afford to keep buying Les Pauls. Uh, so I, I would, I was searching for another company that could, could make me something or have something equivalent to the feel and the, and the sound, that big sound of a Les Paul. And honestly, um, lately, the closest I've ever come um, to, you know, recreating my sound with a different guitar um, has been my most recent uh, venture with uh, Schechter. Okay. Their Les Paul style guitar is called the Solo Six, mm-hmm. and and they make me they made me um, my own my own with you know my own signature Solo Six, just my you know like a Joey Z model Solo Six, right. and uh, which was really cool of them and, and to my specs and stuff, and the guitar sounds great. It, it really sounds big and thick, and I'm really happy with it. Um, you know, it, it is a little, little tiny bit different than my Les Paul. Like, you know, there's more frets on the guitar. Um, but the venture is so new that I may, I may, like, still alter the design with them, and you know, maybe do even get closer to what what I'm used to playing. You know. Right. So, but it is definitely the closest I've come so far to what I'm used to. Okay. So that's really the only way my setup has changed for all these years. I usually, I, you know, I, I I always use my, I've been using Mesa Boogie dual rectifiers for a long, long time now. Mm-hmm. Although with Carnivore, I was using, um, I am using, I should say, PV equipment, PV amps. Okay. The 6505 plus amps. Um, it just cuts, it, it cuts to, through better with that band, with metal and stuff, with Peter's sound. Right. Um, so that amp works for Carnivore. Um, but for Life is Agony, the, the thick, syrupy sound of the, my, my old, old dual rectifiers that I've had for so many years is still the preferred, my preferred um, amp and sound through Marshall cabinets, okay. through old Marshall cabinets, uh, 4 by 12 Cool. Um, that's basically my sound. I, I don't do any tricks or anything with it. I just, um, it's a JB pickup from the bridge. And uh, Seymour Duncan, right. endorsed by those guys. Seymour Duncan, JB, and the bridge uh, through a wah-wah pedal, basically. Um, nothing else, no other effects hmm. into uh, dual rectifiers. Okay. And that's basically my sound for Life of Agony. Throwing a little chorus in there, a little chorus pedal by Boss, um, modded out by Keeley, which is the one that David Gilmore used from Pink Floyd. Right. Mm-hmm. I sometimes add chorus lately to certain parts, like uh, slower parts or just to give it that wider, um, you know, more smoother sound and modulated sound. Um, but otherwise, it's a real simple setup. I, I, I used I was going a little crazy in stereo, but I had this big rig with all these <laughs> effects and delays and all kinds of stuff going on, and I, <laughs> you know, it was fun. I got to tell you, it was fun, but I don't need all that stuff for life of acting. <laughs> Back to basics, more or less, you're saying. Uh, yeah, always back to basics, and you know what? The less is more, and and the less you have, the less you're going through, the less you're squeezing the sound, you know, like the less you're bottlenecking your sound, you know. So plugging straight into an amp usually always sounds better than throwing, you know, 50 pedals in front of it, sure. and outboard gear and effects units, and your natural sound's always going to sound better just plugging straight in. So right. What was the deciding factor in you opening up the studio? Oh, well, you know, uh, 
I, I'm glad you asked me about the studio because I, I always get really excited to talk about it. Um, you know, I, I guess, you know, when Life of Agony released our last record, Broken Valley, in 2005, we ended up, you know, not doing so great. Again, with the, the sales, and it, it did okay, but it, it didn't do what was expected. So our relationship with Epic kind of fell you know, there's a falling out with that relationship. Right. And here I am, you know, I'm not, you know, 22 anymore. You know, you have a wife, you know, you have a wife and I have a wife, I should say. I'm <laughs> saying basically you have wives is what I'm saying, right. band, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, you have a home and bills and all this stuff. So I'm like, hey, I'm not just going to, you know, it looked like the band was, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen with the band. So it made everybody nervous. Um, and, so we, I basically said, you know something, I, I love production all this time. I love being in the studio. I, I love working with people. Um, I'm a personal type person. I really, really enjoy, again, the production side of, of recording, you know, of records and stuff. And I always wanted my own studio. I always wanted my own recording studio from as far as I can remember. Um, so I decided along, you know, obviously along with my wife that, you know, this is something I would like to invest in. And uh, I did that. I put uh, some money that I had aside, saved for other things. I said, you know what, I'm just going to go for this. And uh, I went to school and did a little more uh, studying on the Pro Tools program. And and I got professional help, you know, uh, Pro Media Training, it's called. And uh, so I really knew the ins and outs of the, the recording Pro Tools stuff. And uh, I really, really uh, feel like I did really well in a short amount of time. I learned a lot very quickly. I was able to apply my previous knowledge from all those years of recording myself um, into producing other bands. So um, it just worked out, and the studio is doing great. Um, Even, you know, I I must say, like, uh, sometimes it's it's long hours and uh, a lot of work. But, hey, I'm, I'm in for the challenge. I love music. And, you know, I love working with, you know, new band, whether it's an established band, a newer band. It's just cool to work with different musicians and, and get them the sound the sound they're looking for and kind of recreate the sound with them. Right. And give my own two cents, my own two cents on where they can, you know, take their project. And the cool thing is 99.9% of the time the band is down for what I'm, I would like, you know, I want to try. Okay. And uh, I, I've been very, um, very grateful to... You know, been, I, I've been able to work with some great bands. I've had Sick of It All come to my studio. Okay. I've had um, Anthrax come to my studio and work on some vocals for the new record that, that they just uh, recorded. Right. Um, I had, you know, I've had tons of bands from the local New York scene that everyone's probably heard of come through the studio, Sworn Enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, I did produce an album with, with them. Uh, so it's like, you know, it's just really rewarding here. Here, I'm just, you know, here I am, just a musician myself, and now I'm on both sides of the spectrum. You know, I'm I'm on the recording side. Uh, you know, myself, I, I'm still recording as a musician, and now I'm on the other side of the board, actually helping people see their, see and hear their projects come to life. You know, right? Their their creations come to life. So it's really exciting to do the production thing. And I encourage anyone, even overseas, and i got to throw this in there, because people think, well, I can't work with Joey Z because he's all the way in New York. But that's not the case, because uh, with today's technology, I mean, I can simply be sent tracks or a Pro Tools session that 
a band, let's say, recorded there in Spain. Okay. And, you know, they can easily send me the hard drive in protected, uh, you know, protected packaging fit or a copy of a hard drive or, or DVDs with the tracks on it. And I can work with bands around the world. Hmm. Um, okay. People don't realize that. So it's something important that technology has gotten so far advanced now with the whole recording thing that, I mean, just because I'm on the other side of the world doesn't mean, quote unquote, you can't, you know, you, you know, can't work with Joey Z. Right. Because I'm all the way over here. And not only that, like the bigger bands that could afford it, I mean, I'd be willing to, you know, prepare, you know, excuse me, travel overseas to any studio and produce out of any studio. Okay. So, um, you know, uh, I can easily produce a record in Spain. I can fly over as long, you know, as long as the, uh, you know, all the business end works out right. Sure. I could, I could stay there, produce a record, and fly back. Okay. And mix it, mix it here at my studio. So the, the possibilities are endless when it comes to it. Sure. The production thing now. Sure. So that's um, obviously a definite advantage that uh, Pro Tools has brought and the internet and. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And uh, basically, you could just easily mail something to me, and I can mix it here. Um, and and I'm getting starting to get more inquiries from inquiries. Excuse me, from overseas. So that's cool. pretty pretty cool. Um, I have this new band, this new project. Um, this is something cool, right? Yeah, um, I'm producing and engineering this band, Misery, from Long Island, New York, from out here. Okay. And uh, they're they're a bunch of awesome dudes, um, influenced by bands like Life of Agony and and Sepultura and Pantera. And you know, these guys, first of all, like I said, they're great guys and they're really really awesome musicians. And uh, they're all over Sirius Satellite Radio, which is a, a satellite. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar. But, um, yeah, they're all over the radio with the, the recordings I did with them already at my studio. Okay. Now they just got picked up by a, a record label called Super Metal Records um, that, that is out of Long Island. And these this record label is looking to spend money on these guys and, and really, really, like, get these guys where they need to be. Okay. So... Um, the venture is uh, we're going into Systems 2 where I did River Runs Red and Ugly and we're producing their first record on Super Metal Records. I'll be producing it at Systems 2 where I did my first record. Cool. So that is, it's just huge and I'm really excited about that. And uh, the guys in the band are excited. The label is excited. Um, and uh, just everyone involved is, is really looking forward to this record. So... I think it, you know, I think it'll be hitting Europe rather quickly. I think they're looking for a spring release okay. or early summer, late spring release. So everyone should uh, keep an eye out for Misery again on Super Metal Records. Excellent. Um, now that you've done all this work in the studio and everything that you know with engineering, how, does that make you approach um, your playing differently? Does that give you a new aspect? Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, I'm, I, I feel like I've grown as a player over the last, especially over the last few years. And I got to give some of that credit to guys like Peter Steele and even some of the guys in Stereo Mud. I feel that, you know, playing with different people, um, really, really helps you kind of like grow, you know, kind of grow as a musician. And if you ever stop growing, you kind of like, you know, you're kind of done. If you feel like, you know, if you stop growing, you're done. So, right. I've always morphed. I feel like I've been morphing and, and, and just growing and, and not changing the way I play, but kind of building on it. Okay. And building on the foundation that I had with the groove and, and, you know, really, I feel like, 
you know, I really know how to have that knack to really know how to make people dance. You know what I mean? Um, move, like move their bodies and sure. stuff. And, 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 and I really play out of the heart. So just, I, I feel like I've had that, but adding the more technical side to my playing, um, really, I feel like has kind of merged two big worlds together with my playing. Um, I'm, I'm a lot tighter live. I'm a lot more of a tighter player live now with, with, you know, a lot of even other musicians have met to me, man, you, you got really tight, you know, which is cool. Like, um, uh, I'll tell you who it was too. Uh, Dave from the Nino, the drummer, right. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, you know, Dave Shivari, Dave Shivari. So. Oh, okay. 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 Um, from El Nino, yeah. he's the drummer. Um, he he came up to me after a concert a few years ago. Like, man, you really you really tightened tightened up, huh? You really playing tight, and that made me feel good. You know, it's like somebody notices that I've grown as a musician. You know, and um, you know, but yeah, I definitely feel like the studio as well because here I am producing all these bands, listening to when things aren't sounding right to me. And listen to when somebody's off or the, the feel is not right or, or I feel like they're not playing with the, the right attitude or heart. You know, um, you know, I, I kind of then double-check myself. and like, am I playing with that attitude? Am I playing with that heart? And do I have the correct feel right now right. for this part? So it definitely has definitely affected me in a positive way and, and has helped me become a better musician. Okay. Uh, as far as... Um... You touched upon recording there a little. What do you think will be your next uh, outing in the studio as far as putting your name to an album? Would it be a follow-up to Broken well, Valley or would it be something completely different? You know, I don't know. There's a lot of things going on right now um, uh, as far as recording goes. I, I'm, You know, I'm working on my own stuff, to be honest with you, okay. um, as well as, uh, as, well as uh, this band that needs a lot of help. Uh, the band called uh, The Greatest Fear. Okay. Um, they're actually recording at my studio, but they didn't have a guitar player. They have all this great material that they wrote. You know, I, I, I just I made the decision. They, they approached me about it. They said, listen, you know, without any, you know, no, you know, no strings attached, no, you know, do you like the material enough to play on it? And I was like, you know something? I do. You know, I really think that the writing is unique. I think that it's dark, which I like. I think it has a heavy, heavy aspect to it. It's actually, you know, I use a seven string in the project. Okay. Um, uh, you know, I can't say right now that I'm in the band because we didn't never talked about that. We're, we're in the early, early stages of recording. Right. But I have laid down three songs. I have played on three songs already. And they're looking to stretch this project out. In other words, they're not in there making a full record. They're doing a few songs at a time with me. Okay. So... So, you know, it looks like that this will be a, you know, they may release songs, they may trickle out songs one at a time, or they may wait and do the whole album thing. Okay. Um, but, you know, all in all, is that something else I'm working on right now and, and helping them out? Okay. Um, I'm not taking any, I'm not taking any money for it, uh, for my playing, for the production side I am, but for the playing, you know, they offered me money. I, I'm doing it from my heart because they've, they've had a lot of uh, hard times this couple it's a husband and wife okay and um they lost parents they've you know they've they've lost all their whole entire band like their band they they had their gear stolen huh. they had a lot of like hardships that they went through right and i felt for their story and i decided that it's something that i just want to do out of my heart and not just you know do it for money sure 
so and just for the pure aspect of playing on something heavy. And um, so it's cool, you know. Uh, so that's that project. I'm working on my own project um, where where I'm kind of singing and playing. Okay. And that's heavy, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least, I should say. Um, because I've always wanted to do that, and uh, I never really, really allowed my – I never had the time or really, you know, uh, kind of like pushed myself to do it. But now, it, it, you know, now that I am, it's really sounded pretty – pretty crazy and pretty cool. Cool. And I'm excited about that. LOA, we're talking about writing some material. Um, I don't know if, again, if it's going to be a full record, but we're talking about, excuse me, we're talking about writing some material just to see where it goes, kind of like throw some ideas at each other. Okay. And uh, so I think we'll be doing that in the upcoming months, you know, maybe after the new year. Cool. Just to see what happens. Right. Um, no promises. No promises, though, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with this band. Anyway, uh, um, uh, besides that, um, you know, uh, there's a few other musicians that have asked me to, you know, to, to jam with them um, and see where it goes type of thing. But nothing right now that, that I, you know, no names involved or, or things I need to, you know, need to mention right now. But a couple of cool things brewing here and there. So I'm really busy as a musician as well as a producer and engineer right now. Um, I have two children, and I'm busy with that as well because I, I do dedicate a lot of time to my family. Okay. Um, I, get, I get a lot of phone calls every day that I, I can't even answer because, you know, I, I, try, I try to dedicate. When I'm with my family, I give my undivided attention, you know, to my family. Sure. And when I'm dealing with and when I'm dealing with business, I give my on a, you know my attention to the business. Sure. You know. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, uh, I'm a, so basically, I guess what I'm saying, I'm a pretty damn busy person right <laughs> now. <laughs> but it's all good stuff, sure. you know, music and family. I mean, what could be better? Yeah, ab- you know? absolutely, so, absolutely. There you go. Um, there you go. What uh. What plans do you have uh, after these two shows? Are they just going to be these two shows and possibly stretching it out a little, or it's just going to be these two, and then you're going to get into that writing phase that you just mentioned? Um, I think I think we're going to do these two shows. Um, there may be one, you know, you never know. We may add one or two here or there. I think we definitely we would like to come back to Europe next summer. We love our Europe trip in the summers to do the festivals. Right. Um, it's just always an exciting time for the band. We love going out to Europe. It's something that we've loved since the beginning. Um, we just love that, that vibe there and, and, and the, the excitement at the concerts is just immense for us. And we just always want to feel that. So we don't want to lose that. Right. So you should expect, I hope, I would hope that we would be, I, I think we're going to be coming back again. Okay. There was some names. There were some bands' uh, names thrown around that I, I really can't mention right now that we were excited to play with. Sure. Um, and I hope I hope that that works out too. Some very special bands that, that I know people are going to really dig if we're, we're together with them. Cool. Ho- hopefully they uh, bring you guys to the north of Spain here. Oh yeah, I hope I hope to come back to Spain as well. You know, I hope we. Uh, I, I mean, we hit it recently. We we. Um, I think it was a year before last we did that. We, we hit Spain, I believe, with Barcelona. What year was that? I can't recall which year that was. Was that, was that 07 or was that 
I know you guys played in a festival close to where I'm located in probably 07, which is uh, close to Bilbao, which is... Uh, right. And then when you guys played another place that's fairly close, maybe a year, year and a half before that as well, right when uh, uh, the DVD came out. Gotcha. Okay. So. Yeah, so, you know, all in all, I just, I, I um, you know, we're... You know, we're always excited to do stuff with the band. Everyone's really busy, and whenever we can, we we try to make time in our busy schedules for Life of Agony. You know what I mean? Um, and that's still a good thing, you know? Right. Uh, a very positive thing when it comes to what we're doing. Sure, absolutely. Thank you. All right, thanks. All right, take care. Bye-bye. You too, bye. sounds in the background. I am actually flying from uh, Santander, which is the closest city to where I live here in Spain, to Madrid. We'll be heading over to the States within the next few hours. And I uh, just want to thank Joey Z for coming on board and doing that interview. And um, look forward to doing something pretty special with Joey in the next few weeks. We'll keep you... Uh, We'll keep you informed of that shortly. Check back check back here at the Mars Attacks website, marsattacksradio.com. I uh, also want to mention that the format of the radio show is going to change slightly. We're going to 
try to do more of a music type format. We see that uh, listeners are more inclined to listening to music on the, the stream, and we'll be bringing more of these interviews here through the podcast. And um, that's pretty much it. If you have uh, any questions, comments, or concerns, send me an email at victor at marsattacksradio.com. And that's pretty much it. We're going to leave you a quick clip of Life of Agony's Weeds, and uh, we'll catch you here next time. Thanks a lot. If tomorrow never shows I want you all to know That I love you all, you're beautiful And I have myself alone I've wasted so much precious time Cuddle